Father in heaven, we thank you so very, very much for this holy Sabbath day. We thank you for the opportunity that we have as believers to come together in spirit and in truth and to worship thee and sing praises to thee. And we thank you from the bottom of our heart. We ask humbly for the Holy Spirit to be poured out upon us this morning as we've gathered together according to the fourth commandment to keep this day holy. And we pray for the Spirit to to forgive us our sins, to bring uh, into our hearts a love for the truth and discernment. And uh, Lord, we know that we see things around us that the time is short and we wish to be ready and our families to be ready and and uh, all that we come in contact to be ready for the return of Jesus. And uh, we look forward to that better day, that uh, new country that you've promised. And so, Father, we pray that uh, you, you'll be with us this morning. Give me the words to speak. And may our hearts be lifted up as we look to the future. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We have spent several weeks looking at the uh, apocryphal Bible prophecies of Daniel and Revelation. Um, and, and my question, I question myself, why? Why would we do that? Well, so that we can determine what God says is going to come to pass, for one thing, and see where we are in the timeline of this great controversy between Christ and Satan. You know, what is our present truth? You know, we don't read the Bible and go, oh, There's a big flood coming. We need to prepare for this flood. That's not our time, is it? So we had to look at history. We look at what God has said. Hey, you know something about God? What God has said in His Word has been proven to be 100% true. He's accurate when He predicts something. He's not like the, you know, I remember, they're not so big anymore. uh, But when I was younger, they used to have, you remember Gene Dixon? You remember, you know, she she would make predictions and and what was it she she it, she'd be fifteen percent right and they think she, oh, she can predict everything fifteen percent right I mean come on <laughs> you know but measured on the scale of human thinking well yeah that's incredible but God's a hundred percent accurate. And I hope that we've discovered that as we've gone through our prophecy studies and we've seen through history, it happens exactly as God said it was going to happen. And, and, and what do we do with that? What do we do with that? That should well up within us a trust for what God says. And when we trust what God says, then we read more about what God says and we should be able to trust it. Amen? But we looked at these things to see where we are in this, this great controversy. And, and, and to see, well, is this the way it is? Is this the way it's always going to be? Or is there a purpose? And uh, as we looked at these things, we found that we are indeed living in what the Bible says is the last days of this world's history. And that's an amazing thing to contemplate, isn't it? I mean, you can go through your encyclopedias and see where written history has been recorded for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years and wonder, is this the way it's going to always be? And God says, though, it's not. It's not always going to be this way. And, and, and we've seen that according to these prophecies and the signs that even Jesus talked about that he will be returning sooner, I think, than we realize. You know, something that happened the other day that just, it makes, I listened to the news and Congress has been going against the will of the citizens for a good while. Now, people who don't understand prophecy and don't, haven't got a glimpse of the bigger picture, they are so puzzled by that and, and were, you know, outraged by it, which that's fine. But if you know the big picture, you know, and what we've studied here, you know things that have to happen in order to enforce a mark of the beast, in order to get control. And so when I see things like this happen, and it's just another piece of the puzzle going, ching 
we're, we're right there. We're right there. And so what do we do with that? What do we do when we learn these things? Do we just kind of go, oh, that's interesting, that's cool, I'll share it, and, and it just ends there? Or do we reflect upon it in, in ourselves and say, well, how do I stand in God's eyes? How's my standing? And when you get to that point, then you see, well, is there, is there any recourse for me? And you find that there is. And the recourse is in Jesus Christ. And that's the whole message, isn't it? That's what the whole Bible's about. It's about how God deals with the sin problem. And He's going to deal with it. I mean, He's been dealing with it since the fall, right? But it's going to come to an end. But, you know, when we hear such things... It can trouble us, though, can't Because we're human beings. It troubles us. I mean, look at your day every day. There are little things that happen in our days, the little things that trouble us. And this is a big thing. And if we're honest with ourselves, we can't say, oh, that doesn't trouble me. Well, we're human beings. It does trouble us. You know, we, we had a breakdown in our vehicle yesterday, and it took a whopping amount out of our budget. You know, to, to go south. And that's troubling. That troubled us. But that's nothing compared to what's coming. You know? So, what do we do with it? What do we do with these messages? You know, and the, this truth that we learn. Um, and and let, me, let me add this. Being troubled at heart isn't anything new. Is it? That's not new to our generation. You know? I remember, you know, my, my dad, when he was very young, they were going through the Depression. You know, you, you learn to adapt, right? And you learn to live with, with little. You know, I'm amazed at some of the things that, that our society here in this country, we are so wealthy we don't understand how wealthy we are. You know, you do a few mission trips and you go, whoa, you know, we've really got it pretty well made. <laughs> you know. But what do we do with these things? If it doesn't affect our outlook on life and it doesn't affect our character, then what we've learned is worthless. It's just knowledge. If it doesn't go any further than that, what good is it for you? I'm, and I'm being just honest with you. So what are you going to do with, the, with messages? What are you going to do with these things that we learn? It, it needs to have an effect on your life. But trouble, being troubled, that's been around for a long time. Jesus and the, and the disciples, think about this. I mean, they just left the temple. Let's go back to this time. They just left the temple for the last time. And they were troubled, weren't they? They were troubled because their master had just said some things to the leaders of Israel. And you don't speak to the leaders of Israel that way. I mean, what he was saying, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, are you kidding? That seemed like so outside of his character that they knew something's wrong here, right? In Matthew 23, verses 38 and 39, he gets... He goes through the, these whole things in Matthew 23, and then he says, Behold, your house is left unto you what? Desolate. And he says, For I say unto you, You shall not see me henceforth, till ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. That's pretty strong words from some guy from Nazareth. You know? I mean, they, they had often, the disciples, they had often heard Jesus say things that were very hard to understand. You know, but maybe for the first time there was real fear in their hearts that things were not going to be as they thought they would be concerning, you know, the new kingdom. And after some inner turmoil, and of course they were got together and they whispered together, you know, and, uh, and tried to figure these things out. They approached Jesus and they asked him about his words concerning the destruction of the temple. 
in the end of things. And, and this is some of what we started our whole series with, Matthew 24. And in verse 3, it says, And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And so Jesus goes on, doesn't he? He goes on to spell out the signs uh, of the end times leading up to his, his return. Signs that we're familiar with and uh, we see happening before our very eyes, don't we? Sometimes we also get caught up in the, the working and the watching and, and, and the fear begins to enter our hearts as to these events that are, that are going to take place. And we wonder about the personal course, you know, that course that's laid out for us as families and, and as a church, and, and, it, and it, it is this unknown concerning the details, you know, that the devil, he uses that. He uses that to his advantage, you know. It, what's, going to, what's it going to be like when we can't buy or sell? There's that unknown for us. We can, you know, we have imaginations. We can imagine things. Don't you think the devil uses that against us? Yeah. He uses that against us to, to try to frighten us, to try to tempt our faith. But Jesus is there for us at all times, just as he was for the disciples. And what did he say? If he, you go to John 14, and these words that Jesus spoke, they weren't just for those disciples only right there whose heart were full of fear, but these words were for all saints until Jesus returns. What do he say in John 14, 1? Let not your heart be troubled. You know, we, we often go, don't tell me that. I want my heart to be troubled. Trouble, don't we? And Jesus, he keeps trying to tell us, don't let your heart be troubled. Well, don't you see this happening and that? Look at me. Look in my eyes. Don't let your heart be troubled. It's just the same kind of attitude we have with our sins. When Jesus says, I've forgiven you, and we go, oh, no, you haven't. He says, don't let your heart be troubled. Well, are we going to believe him or not? See? He says, you believe in God? Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Had Jesus ever lied to them? No. I go to prepare a place for you. And I, I like that because... It helps me to see how personal God is to each one of us. Just put your own name in there. I go to prepare a place for Bill. I go to prepare a place for Jerome. For Barb, for Rob. I go to prepare, prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there you may be also. Because he wants to be with us. And whether I go, you know, in the way you know. In essence, what he was saying is, I've been telling you this stuff ever since you've been with me. You know what I'm talking about. You're just not seeing it clearly right now. You know. And so here he is, he's trying to bring calm and love to their hearts because, you know, the Bible says perfect love does what? Casts out all fear. And he's saying, peace. Have you noticed Jesus would always say, peace I leave with you. Peace be unto you. He calmed the storms, remember? That's what he wants to do with us in our hearts when we have fear. One of the greatest ways to, to regenerate our faith and strengthen our purpose is to look forward to better times. You know, when we go through some dark times, we kind of look back, at least I do. I encourage others to look back at the good times. Because life is kind of like a wave, isn't it? You get up here, and then it goes down here, and then you get up here, and it goes down here. I saw a picture one time, and it said, it said, <clears throat> my, something like my goal for today, or my goal for my life, and it was like, 
the guy was on a bicycle and it was a straight line up to the top. And then it says, underneath it says, God's, you know, goal for me. And it was a pitfall down here and got to go over a lake and up a mountain and down. <laughs> God knows what we need when we need it. And he knows what, uh, what we need to better our character to be more like his. Some people get polished really, really hard. Some people don't need to be polished as hard. That's just the, just the way it is. But if we look at the future, we look at what the Bible talks about, about the future, it can lift our spirits because we know it's not always going to be this way. There's a better time coming. And it's, you know, all these life difficulties we have now, we won't ever have them ever again. The time when we will be changed and have a new home, one that is made especially for each individual. Think about that. The billions of people Jesus is preparing to place for each one. That's incredible. It's an incredible thought. Let me share this with you. It's from Messages to Young People. Page 113 says, By faith, look upon the crowns laid, uh, laid up for those who shall overcome. Listen to the exultant song of the redeemed. Worthy, worthy is the Lamb that was slain and hast redeemed us to God. Endeavor to regard these scenes as real. If we would permit our minds to dwell more upon Christ and the heavenly world, we should find a powerful stimulus and support in fighting the battles of the Lord. Pride and love of the world will lose their power as we contemplate the glories of that better land so soon to be our home. Besides the loveliness of Christ, all earthly attractions will seem of little worth when you compare them. You know, if, you, if you've ever set goals in your life, bigger goals take more work, don't they? They take some sacrifice. But when you reach that, how many have, done, have you done that? Have you reached goals in your life, certain things, and you go, this is great. You know? and, the, and, and you forget about the hard work and the disappointment at times and whatever. You finally reached it. And this is kind of what she's saying. If you look forward to that better land, then the sacrifices here are worth it. See? We've got to keep looking forward and working. Now, I want to spend some time with you, again, talking about the future, not the future battle with the beast and his image. We've covered all that stuff. Not the future time of trouble. I want to go beyond that, for we need to be reminded that there are better things in store for God's people. I want to take a look at a whole new world. That's what I've entitled this message. A whole new world. A world much different than the one we live in today. I want you to see that this future home is now being prepared for us. And it will actually fulfill God's original plan for our happiness. A perfect happiness. It'll match the beauty and glory that God incorporated into the Garden of Eden. In Isaiah 64 and verse 4, Isaiah described it this way. He said, for since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, neither hath the eye seen, O God, beside thee, what he hath prepared for him that waited for him. So Isaiah, he declares here that since the beginning of the world, men have neither heard nor seen the fullness of God's plan. The, intima the intimation is that, that men once did see and know of those wonderful things God has prepared for His people. In fact, that plan was revealed to Adam and Eve in all its glory. God wanted the earth to be like Eden. It was called the Garden of the Lord. He gave several gifts to our first parents, but none so great, I believe, as these. Life, that's a gift, isn't it? Life, a righteous character, a beautiful home, and he gave them dominion over the earth. That's an incredible thing. God, God institutes marriage, marries this couple, and they're the only humans on the whole planet. 
And he says, be fruitful and multiply. That's just an incredible thought to think about anyway. Can you imagine being the only couple on the earth? <laughs> but it's a perfect earth. You know? And so he gave them these gifts, and, and they could have possessed those gifts forever by choosing to obey God in the, the matter of what? That one forbidden tree. That through obedience to his will, God intended, you see, to make the human family ideally and eternally happy. And that has never changed, by the way. I'm positive that all heaven wept when they saw sin come into the human family for the first time. Immediately, all those original provisions began to be withdrawn. First, Adam and Eve began to die, didn't they? According to what God had said. Dying, ye shall die, is what he said. Second, the image of righteousness, that glow that they had about them, was marred. Third, they were driven out of the garden, right? Weren't allowed to come into the garden and partake of that tree of life. And the fourth thing, their dominion passed for a time into the hands of Satan. So those four great gifts that they were given, they lost. The first three chapters of the Bible present this picture of that great loss, the entrance of sin, the story of the fall of man, Genesis 1, 2, and 3. You see it all right there. But what's interesting is the last three chapters of the Bible picture the exact opposite by telling us of the restoration of all these things. The exit of sin and Satan. Uh, the removal of the curse. They're depicted in Revelations chapter 20, 21, 22. One of these days, the home of the righteous is again going to be right here on this earth. It's going to be a new earth. Jesus said so in the Beatitudes. Remember that? He said, blessed are the meek. For what? They shall inherit the earth. Not some ethereal cloud with a harp up in the heavens. You know, he didn't say, blessed are meek, they're going to inherit a cloud one day for eternity and play harp. He said they shall inherit the earth. God's people will dwell on the earth made new. I mean, it, really kind of think about it. Why would the plan be any different than the original? Why would we be taken to some far off world to live forever? I mean, really think about that. God planned for His children to live here when He created the world, didn't He? And He placed our first parents in a paradise without spot or blemish. Now it's true, the devil came you know, into the picture and he interrupted God's plan, but He didn't change that plan because of it. God will finally carry out His purpose as it was revealed in the Garden of Eden. He's going to go right back to it. He'll restore this earth to its, with the, you know, the Bible says is the first dominion. He'll make it sinless and perfect again. And His people will live here in the beauty of Eden restored. Now, I don't think that anyone, when I talk about this, I don't think that anyone would want to, to, to have the earth in its present condition, would they? That's quite a mess. The meek shall inherit the earth. Too bad it's all screwed up. No, God's going to create it new, isn't He? And so we can thank the Lord that when He gives it back to us, it's going to be different from what we see around us today. In Isaiah 65, 17, He says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. Where have we read that before? That's the Old Testament. Do we read the same thing in the New Testament? Yeah, Revelation 21, 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. New means new, doesn't it? Not recycled. New. This blood-soaked world of ours will be replaced completely and all trace of sin will be removed forever. Praise God. Peter, he describes it this way, 2 Peter 3.13, he says, Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for what? New heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth Righteousness, that means sin is gone. 
I used to ask my daughter all the time, what's righteousness mean? Right doing. <laughs> now that's the kind of world I want. What about you? A world in which righteousness dwells. God's going to have, you see, a pure, clean planet again. And it's remarkable how many, and you think about it, how many twisted concepts of heaven people have. I mean, that they've just fully accepted. It's amazing to me. Like I mentioned before, most, most people think it's some far-off, elegant, ethereal place, you know, that's all out there somewhere. That's all they can say about heaven. They believe it's up there. You know, up there. Up there somewhere. Well, yes, it is up there. That's the way Jesus went, wasn't it? He went up, right? But notice John 14 again. Jesus called heaven a place. I go to prepare a what? Place for you. That's not something made up. Attica is a place, isn't it? Williamsport, is that a place? West Lebanon? Petersburg? Those are places, right? And so what Jesus is preparing is just as real as those places. Jesus declared that He is going to get a place ready and then come back to take us with Him to that place. The righteous, they're not going to sit on clouds out there in space, you know, just floating around. Picture, you know, as a kid, I'd picture, you know, having like a little canoe paddle and you paddle your cloud (laughs) through from place to place, you know. That's not going to be like that. You know. You may find a person now and then that uh, will uh, tell you plainly that they don't care to go to heaven every once in a while. But that's only because I think uh, they have a misconception about it, you know. They just heard all the lies about it, and it's like, who really, who would want to sit on a cloud or float out in space forever, you know? What's the purpose? You know, Satan's been very good at getting people to be indifferent about it. Um, Popular myths have made heaven seem dull and uninteresting, and the But the truth about heaven, when you read the Bible, makes it one of the most exciting places that I think you can imagine. Um, The capital city of that glory land is called the New Jerusalem. And it is currently under construction. You know that? That's what Jesus said in John 14. Um, And even Paul says that. Uh, It'll cover an area that is greater than Virginia, Washington, D.C., Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Rhode Island combined. That's how big that city is. Um, This is what it says in Hebrews 11, verse 16. It says, But now they desire a better country, that is, an heavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He hath prepared for them a city. He's preparing for us a city. Now this raises some questions. What kind of city is God building? Uh, where's it being made ready? You know, Revelation 21, verse 2. And I, John, saw the holy city coming down from God out of heaven. Coming down where? What, what, what are the meat going to inherit? The earth. So where do you think this city is going to come down from heaven? To, to the earth. So in paradise at this moment, far above the stars and the planets, God is preparing mansions for you and me in that city. I remember Pastor Brooks saying, I just want to be there. I don't care if I have I have a mansion on the outskirt of the city, you know, tucked away somewhere. I just want to be there. What about you? I just want to be there. Bless you. So someday that gleaming white city is going to descend right down to the earth and settle here as the eternal home of all the righteous. How big will it be when it's completed? Revelation 21.16 says, In the city lieth four square, and he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. The city, New Jerusalem, is perfectly square. That's what he's talking about. It's perfectly square. And the circumference is 12,000 furlongs. A furlong is one-eighth of a mile. 
That means the city is 375 miles on each side, 1,500 miles total. And believe it or not, you could put 450 New York cities inside its walls. That's how big it is. Well, it'd have to be pretty big, wouldn't it? <laughs> it's going to hold millions and millions and not billions of people. How many, how many millions of people live in New York? Well, there's just a million children that go to school there, so... <laughs> just a million. Just. <laughs> yeah, isn't, isn't the Indianapolis have like one million people or something like that? New York has like 20-something. I mean, just you can kind of do the math and go, wow, okay, <laughs> that's a lot. But what I'm trying to do, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to present in, in human language some of the beauty, I guess, uh, and the reality of heaven as far as we understand it. Because all we've seen has been tainted with sin, you know. Uh, but it's a real place and it's going to have real beings and, and we're going to have real bodies and we're going to take up real activities. It's not just some you know, uh, ethereal mist that we're going to have, a spirit that we float around. You know, It's real. In fact, in Isaiah 65, we're told that the redeemed will plant vineyards and eat the fruit of them. We're going to build houses and live in them. Isaiah 65, verse 21-22. And they shall build houses and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and eat the fruit of them. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. In other words, no corporations. <laughs> you're not going to go into business. You know. You're not going to stroll down to the farmer's market. You're the farmer. You're going to have your own market. All right? And he says, uh, For as the days of a tree are the days of my people, and my elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. So we're going to have bodies of flesh and bone in heaven. And that's what the Bible teaches. Some of these ideas that are thrown out there is amazing to me. They have to throw away much of the Bible, what the Bible says, in order to, under, to, to teach what they, they teach. It's incredible. <laughs> Philippians 3 and verse 21, Paul said, Who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, speaking of Jesus. So we'll have bodies just like Jesus had after he was resurrected. In Luke 24 verse 39, Jesus said, Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as you see me have. I don't know about you, but that's pretty comforting to me. You know? And again, if you think about it in the long-term aspect of it, why would it be different than what God originally had planned in the beginning? It doesn't make any sense. And so here Jesus, he first he appeared to them and he said he had flesh and bone. Then he ate with them, didn't he? And finally he ascended right out of their midst. Flesh and bone went back to heaven. So this sequence of events in the life of Jesus answers uh, many questions concerning our own nature when this conflict is over. We'll have a body made like the very same body Jesus possessed after he was resurrected. Some people have the misconception that heaven will be very impersonal. That uh, much like here, you'll get lost in the billions of inhabitants. The truth is that we're going to know each other better in heaven than we know one another now. And I always thought uh, I always thought that was kind of strange anyway. How could it be impersonal if Jesus Christ is making a mansion just for you? That makes no sense to me, you know. In 1 Corinthians 13 verse 12 Paul wrote, "For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face." Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. So if I understand English uh, at all, this means that we're going to know one another better when we get up there than we do here. <laughs> you know, We'll see things very dimly here, we, we, and we misunderstand each other 
from time to time, don't we? Here. That's never going to happen on the new earth. We're going to know each other clearly and, and plainly. And there's going to be that indwelling love for one another. Jesus said in Matthew 8, 11, He said, Many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Not only will we be forever united with uh, those we loved on earth, but we can also make uh, the, the acquaintance of all those saints that we read about in the Bible who inspired us, actually. I mean, I, for one, I like, I like reunions, family reunions. I don't know. Everybody has different you know, ideas about it. And, and, but I like family reunions. I haven't seen my family members in a year or maybe longer, and I like to go and visit with them. And, and, and homecomings when, you know, just every week we go pick up our little granddaughter, and that's like a homecoming. Bring her in. Let's have some fun here with the little one, you know. And if she acts up, we send her off. <laughs> send them home as dad said one time about our boys send them home <laughs> but heaven heaven wouldn't be very enjoyable if you didn't you know recognize anybody you know uh, now I've thought about this for some time I've had the joy and it really is a joy to lead someone to Christ and, and I anticipate meeting them in heaven I used to tell people, I'll meet you to the right of the tree. You know, if I never see you again here, I'll meet you at the right of the tree of life when we get in heaven. I'm looking forward to meeting some of these people in heaven. You're right about that. <laughs> Facing the tree? Okay. I'll meet you at the tree. Let's just say that. And of course... Of course, if you have millions of people saying that, everybody's going to be there. <laughs> you should also share what it's like. I mean, because when we went to Kansas and we met fellow Christians that we've never met before and we spent time with them. Oh, yeah. It was like we've known them always. It was such a joy I, I'd say, to be with them and spend time with them. It felt comfortable. I'd say that's a, so that's a Holy Spirit thing. I would always say it's a Holy Spirit thing. I can't explain it. You run into certain uh, believers that love Jesus as much or more than you do, and it's like you've known them your whole life. And it's it's not an eerie kind of thing, but it's kind of surreal. Well, it's comforting. And it is. You're right. That's why I would say that's a Holy Spirit thing. How how do we have this tie? Well, who is it? In the sin, it's Christ, isn't it? But I'm looking forward to meeting people there. Uh, you know, people that, uh, that I've helped lead to, to know Jesus. And uh, um, my older brother led me to Jesus, so I meet him at least once a month, usually. If not more. <laughs> but it's going to be different in heaven, isn't it? It's going to be different. Um, I also believe that the Lord is going to meet each one of us. Because remember... There, there, it's, it, there's no time limit, is there? It's not like he's going to look at his watch and say, okay, Bang. next, we need to go. <laughs> right? We've got like eternity here, you know. So I believe that, that Jesus is going to show us, each one of us, he's going to show us through the, the city, New Jerusalem, and he's going to escort us down the golden streets and and show us all the different places of interest in New Jersey because it's not just mansions in there, you know. And we're going to walk along the river of life, and he'll tell us about the tree of life, which grows over the river and bears a different manner of fruit each month, and he's going to explain all this stuff to us and show us, and he'll take us down one street after another. Finally, we're going to move along, and we're going to see a certain abode. And Jesus is going to interrupt our thoughts, and he's going to say, this is yours. I've prepared it exactly as I knew you'd want it. This one is especially for you. It's incredible to think about that Jesus loves each and every one of us as if we were the only one that existed. Have you ever thought about that? And he's going to say, 
I prepared this one for you. And I'm, I don't think we're going to be disappointed with it. <coughs> because he knows us better than we know ourselves. We're not going to say, ah, I'm not so sure about the, uh, you know, the olive green carpet, Lord. You know, that ain't going to happen. Whatever it is, yeah, right. we're going to like it, you know. <laughs> Oh, no, no, the color scheme, I don't know. You know. No, we're going to love it because he prepared it for us. And in addition to the mansion that Jesus has for us in the city, we're going to build ourselves a country home. Remember that Isaiah, he promised we shall build houses and inhabit them, and we can pick our own location. Uh, there's the whole beautiful new world before us, and we can find the choicest place that will fit our personality and and uh, we can put our house up right there. Um, and we're not going to have just, you know, 30 days to build it or 60 days or have it done within a year. We could spend... Budget. Yeah, yeah exactly. Budget, we, you know. We just, I mean, think about it. It's, it's endless, the ideas that pop into my mind. I mean, I may be traveling on other worlds and see something that, man, that would look really nice as my north wall in my house or whatever, you know. And we'll be able to take it and travel across universes back to Earth and put it in as part of our home. I mean, the thoughts are just endless, you know. Now somebody says, well, I don't know how to build. I don't think I want to build houses. Are there any carpenters out there I can hire? <laughs> Listen. Don't think it'll be the kind of work that we have to go through here and what the carpenters go through here. You're not going to have, you know, the compressor with the nail gun and go out. That ain't happening. It's going to be completely different. It's not going to be like that at all. And as for your knowledge of how to build, don't worry about it for a second. I mean, there will be no limit to what we can learn. You'll have a whole eternity before you to learn and understand all kinds of different things. Maybe the Amish brethren will come and help us. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Build a barn in a day. That's right. Build a barn in a day. Yeah. Exactly. Build those sanctuary and give them skills. Yep. Exactly. Pretty quick. That's right. It's going to be very remarkable. I mean, and it's very, it is very hard for us to even imagine because we, we see beauty here, but we don't know what perfect beauty is, you know. Uh, other things, you know, Daniel started praying, and I've talked about this before. Daniel started praying one day, and before he ended his prayer, an angel had come all the way from, uh, uh, from heaven to his side. And the angel said, Daniel, you know, when you began to pray, God sent me from His throne and now I'm here in answer to your prayer. We'll be able to travel like that. Yeah. That's incredible. That's, I don't know if it's some different dimension or whatever it is. I can't explain it. But, you know, we can go out and we can, we can visit the, the universe of God and understand things that no human mind has been able to comprehend before. Um, you know... You can go out on a starry night and you put your hand up and you, you put your thumb out there like that. And the, the width of your thumb, within the width of your thumb, looking up into the starry sky, there are millions and millions of universes within the width of your thumb. Think about that. I remember reading a statement one time that said you could visit a planet a day for eternity and not visit them all. If you like to travel, you're going to be traveling for all eternity. And praise God for that. I mean, you will not be bored. I remember, my kids got tired of hearing this. I remember I told my dad I was bored one time. Uh, the next thing I knew, I was out in the bean field hoeing weeds. <laughs> we won't be bored in heaven. And we won't be bored on this new world. You can bank on that. Sometimes people ask me, and I get this a lot from kids from time to time, they ask me if there will be animals in heaven. Absolutely. And let me tell you that pet lovers are going to have a field day there. Isaiah 11, beginning with verse 6, it says, The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, 
and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. And the cow and the bear shall feed, their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox, and the sucking child shall play on the hole of the asp, and the weaned shall an asp was a snake. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice's den. I'm thinking that's uh, I'm not quite sure what kind of animal that is. Well, it has a den, so I don't know if it's a rodent type of animal. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Too often we've read stories uh, of family pets that have suddenly turned upon you know, children attacking them like wild animals. The ravages of sin... Um, have made animal nature very unpredictable, actually. You know, I tell people there's, there's still animals. You know, you've got the, this habit of, uh, people have a habit of taking a wild animal and trying to domesticate it. It's still a wild animal. It's unpredictable. And we've seen things happen. You know, uh, the, the monkey the lady had and it ripped her face off. I mean, it's still a wild animal. You can look at it and say, oh, that's cute. She's not thinking it's too cute right now. <laughs> you know, that happened some time ago. But um, that's what sin has done. But in the restored Eden of God, there will be absolutely no danger of any of that kind of violence from lions and leopards and bears or snakes or anything that we know today is can be dangerous. And, and this too, we, for the first time since Eden... We're going to be able to trust each other. Have you ever thought about that? Men will be able to trust other men. No one will be there who could inflict harm or unhappiness on, on anybody, even animals. And since there will be no sickness or pain or, or death, some occupations and professions aren't going to exist. There's not going to be any doctors. There won't be any nurses. Well, get this. There won't be any morticians. And I like this one. Nothing against people who have these occupations today, but there's not going to be any insurance agencies. And there won't be any phone companies. You don't have to call another country for technical support. That ain't going to happen, you know. And what about loved ones who don't make it to heaven? I mean, there is a flip side, right? Won't we grieve for them? I have no doubt that we will weep. And we might may even weep bitterly. I imagine we will. Um, when we discover that somebody's missing, you know. And, and, and But the Bible says that God shall wipe all tears from our eyes as only He can. Revelation 21, verse 3 and 4. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them. I'll get to that in a minute. That's incredible. And they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. For the former things are passed away. That's wonderful, isn't it? I'll tell you, if heaven were no more than those two verses describe, I'd want to be there, wouldn't you? God is moving. Also, this, this it says God will dwell with them. God is moving the center of creation to this planet. His throne, from where He's at now, is going to be on this earth. That's an incredible thought. He's going to dwell right here with all of us. That's a big deal, friends. It's <laughs> a big deal. But it says there, and there will be no more cause for sorrow, no pain, no death, no separation. In Isaiah 33, 24, we read something else about the people who will live in this new world. It says, and the inhabitants shall not say, I am sick. Like I was last week. 
I don't have to worry about that anymore. People here get sick. But in heaven, we'll, we, won't, you know, we won't even use that, the expression, I don't feel well. <laughs> right? It's going to be done away with. We'll never say that. And if you think about it, we'll never even ask. How are you this morning, Jerome? We won't even have to ask, you know. We'll know how you are. You know, you're not sick. In fact, you feel perfect. <laughs> how are you this morning? Perfect. <laughs> you won't even have to ask. You know, uh, no one's going to say, "Yeah, I'm sick this morning." No one will feel the the desperation of seeing loved ones suffer and then, you know, sink over into death. We're going to have perfect bodies. I remember growing up. You know, I grew up outside Battleground, but often we'd go into town. We had friends in, in Battleground. We'd go in there and we'd play ball in the street. You can't do that today, you know. But we'd play ball in the street. We had to watch for traffic, you know, while we played, but we played in the street. And the Bible says, now many people in cities do that, their kids do, but the Bible says children will be in heaven and they are going to play in the streets and never get hurt. Zechariah 8, verse 5. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets thereof. That's cool. And even when they play alongside the river of life, you're not going to have to worry about them falling in and drowning. It's a river of what? Life. <laughs> right? Isaiah 65, verse 25. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountains, saith the Lord. Children are going to grow up there. The Bible says they'll grow up as calves in the stall. And I think also, it's not just limited to children. I think we as adults are going to grow up too. We're going to grow up spiritually and intellectually and as well as physically. Um, I think we're going to, at the beginning, we're going to have a little trouble conversing with Adam for a little while. I mean, he was made perfect. And our poor minds have become dull by what? Our tendencies and weaknesses of 6,000 years? We'll have to develop quite a bit to catch up. Uh, but we're going to learn. We'll develop. And uh, we'll grow physically. Adam was a lot taller, a lot stronger than any man today. The Bible says there were giants in the earth in those days. One man is described in the book of Genesis as being 10 feet tall. I can well believe that Adam and Eve were 12 to 15 feet tall then. Uh, but, you know, I believe the entire final curse of sin is going to be taken away as we grow into the image of God, just as it was reflected in Adam and Eve. In fact, uh, the prophet tells us about uh, this time when Jesus, you know, he's putting the crown on all the redeemed's head, and he's a little bit taller than Adam. I'll give you some perspective. So if Adam was, let's say Adam is, you know, 12 feet tall. 12 is a nice biblical number, isn't it? Jesus might be 13 or 14 feet tall, you know? <laughs> In other words, you're going to see him above everyone. And there's nothing wrong with that, is there? Writing in the context of the end of all things, Malachi 4 and verse 2, it says, But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. So we often interpret this to mean that parents can watch their, their children grow into adulthood, but I think it could apply also to us as we grow out of you know, these, these effects of sin that we've had to deal with. Um, all defects will be left behind when we go there. In Isaiah 35, verses 5 and 6, there's a beautiful promise here. It says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as a heart, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out, and streams in the desert. One of the greatest joys, I think, will be to hear voices on every side saying, I can see again, or I can hear, or I'm strong, I can walk, you know. And I doubt that they'll be walking long, they'll be sprinting, you know. Uh, 
All the infirmities of old age are going to disappear forever and ever and we'll see only eternal youth as it was when we were created perfect. Every mind is going to be keen and alert, not like today. We're not going to walk into a room and stop and go, why did I come in here? (laughs) Has that ever happened to you? (laughs) And then leave and then go, oh yeah, and turn around and go back in. (laughs) All right? We too often see heartbreaking scenes of, you know, suffering and wretchedness in the news. In fact, it gets old, doesn't it? You just don't like to see it anymore. Not even a memory or reminder of such an experience will afflict any of the redeemed of this earth made new. The Bible says in Isaiah 40 and verse 31, it says, They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. With bodies that will never tire, you imagine what you can do? Before my wife's client passed away, she was working, I mean, just work, 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 work. It just kind of, I chuckle at it, but you remember the old Dunkin' Donuts commercial? Gotta make the donuts. And then he met himself at the door. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Actually. You're working and working and working, and it's like you meet yourself coming and going. Exactly. I was almost living at her house. But that's not going to happen in the future. It's not going to happen. We can spend all our energies exploring the new earth and all the, the wonders of God. Um, in fact, the entire unfallen universe is going to be open to our observation. We'll be able to visit billions of planets, like I said before, solar systems, galaxies that had never seen sin, ever. Uh, And we can go there and we can stay as long as we please. We can return as quick as a flash if we want. That's incredible, incredible to contemplate. Maybe you're interested in, in people like I am. Have you ever thought of the joy of getting acquainted with people that you read about in the Bible? I'd like to sit down with Noah. What about you? Sit down and talk to him. You know, what was it like to build this ark? What kind of tools did you use? How in the world did you get them animals, you know, come in? And how, how could you organize these things, you know? Um, and you were in there for a while, like a year. It's unbelievable. How was the smell, you know? <laughs> right? Uh, I thought about Abraham as well. I mean, the day he took Isaac up, to, to the top of Mount Moriah. You know, you try to imagine what he felt like when he went up that mountain, knowing what God had sent him there to do. Um, I want to ask Abraham about that experience. Uh, what was it like? I mean, the anguish of it. Uh, and then finally to see, you know, the angel grab his hand, and what was that experience like? I want to talk to the centurion that stood by and saw Jesus crucified. Remember the one who said, truly this was the Son of God? You know, I'd like to know more of the details about that day. Uh, I mean, what about you? There, there's so many stories in the Bible. We'll be able to get, get it from the horse's mouth, so to speak. You know, um, About Mary. You know, Talk to the ladies. Maybe they want to talk to Mary about what Jesus was like when he was a child. We don't have very much information about that, you know. Um, But even in our wildest imagination, we find it difficult to envision those special contacts, the Bible characters we learn to to admire and respect. Um, It's thrilling to anticipate how it's, it's, you know, what it's going to be like when we actually meet them. Um, David, you know. What did you feel like when you went up against Goliath? You know, how real, how big was he really? You know, I think all kinds of questions. I'm kind of a history buff, so I'm really going to enjoy that aspect of it. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 9, we're told, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Now, to me, that is a promise without parallel. There's nothing quite like it 
I don't think, in the Bible. When it says that I have never seen anything to compare with heaven, that's incredible. Because I have, so I've seen some wonderful things. Haven't you? I've seen some wonderful things. I think they're wonderful things in this world. I haven't traveled to a lot of countries, um, but I've seen pictures of things that are incredibly beautiful uh, from all over the world. Uh, the Internet's good in that respect, you know. I've seen mountains and waterfalls and gardens and underwater landscapes and, and animals. But the Bible tells us that heaven will be immeasurably more beautiful than any of those things. The Bible says we've never heard about anything that would give us even the faintest idea of how incredible heaven really is. That's hard for me to wrap my mind around, you know. The text goes on to say that we've never even imagined the true beauty of it. It has not entered into the heart of man, is what it says. I'll tell you, I have a fertile imagination. <laughs> and I can imagine things uh, that are just, I think, are out of this world. But still the Bible says it won't even begin to approach the beauty and the glory of heaven. Um, one of the, the best aspects, I believe, of the new heaven and earth is that it'll be uh, clean. You know, maybe, you know, I, I got lung issues. and But to, to imagine someplace clean, what does that entail? Revelation twenty one twenty seven. There shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Can you picture an entire city, much less a planet, in which there's no smell of sewage? Think about it. Uh, or dead flesh of any kind. You know, no roadkill, you know, right? Or landfills. We travel up to Battle Creek, we pass a landfill up there, and man, that's terrible. In <laughs> um, that day, God will have a limitless universe where no chemical poison can exist. Uh, the gold streets are not going to be littered with beer cans and cigarette butts. One of the dirtiest cities I ever remember visiting was Tijuana. I've never seen a city so filthy in my life. It's incredible. But uh, uh, defiling the body, defiling the air, defiling the street, it's going to be unknown in the new Jerusalem and the earth made new. Now, I've alluded to many of the changes in lifestyle that will mark those who inherit the new earth. I've tried to um, portray the joy, the delight of dwelling in a perfect environment, free from all sin, its influence. Our senses are stirred, I think, by the prospect of all the physical benefits, no sickness, no pain, no death, yet the very highest pleasure reserved for the redeemed will have nothing to do with lifestyle, won't have nothing to do with food or being immortal. The sweetest delight of heaven, in my humble opinion, will be to see Jesus face to face and to live with Him throughout eternity. To see the nail prints in His hands and to open our minds to His personal instruction not just reading it in a book. To worship Him with all the saints of all ages face to face and in the flesh. That's incredible to me. That's the greatest thing to me. The rest is just, what they say, icing. You know? The rest is just gravy. <laughs> Isaiah 66 verse 23, And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another, and from one Sabbath to another shall all flesh come to worship before me, saith the Lord. Now the question I want to leave you with is this. When that day dawns and the saints of God march into that city, will you be among them? Abraham's going to be there. Isaac, Jacob, Peter... Paul, they're going to march inside the gates. And when they are inside, will you be inside too? You can make a reservation now if you desire. And it takes a reservation to get in. Did you know that? 
you've got to reserve a spot. The good news is that the reservation is free. You don't need to have a credit card on record, but you must be a citizen of the heavenly kingdom before you can do it. And if you want to do it, you can make your reservation right now. When that day comes, you can join with God's people of all the ages and dwell in that beautiful city under ideal conditions, which we've just talked about. And so I, I just I'll ask you, do you want to reserve a spot in the kingdom of God? Then what you need to do, you need to tell Jesus from your heart that you wish to be forgiven and that you accept Him as your Savior and the Lord of your life. And when you do that, He sets the building plans into motion for your new home within the city where you'll spend eternity enjoying a whole new world, friends. It's something to, to look forward to, isn't it? It really is. And I hope you make that commitment. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, we do again thank you so much for this holy Sabbath day. We thank you for uh, the many incredible promises that you've given to us in your word and for these, these insights into what heaven and the new earth is going to be like. And Father, it encourages us to keep going, to keep trying, to, to be more faithful, uh, to, to help others and esteem others better than ourselves even more and more. For we want all to, to be a part of that. And so, Father, we pray for the, uh, a double portion of the Holy Spirit to be in our hearts and to fill our hearts with love for others. Uh, that we may describe these things to them and what we can look forward to. And, and Father, we pray especially uh, for our families and our loved ones and our neighbors that we may, may reach them with the truth before it's all decided. We thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you for his life and death on our behalf. We pray that we may be found faithful and be one of those who enters the city. And we ask in Jesus' name.